We are going to be over in the Gospel of Mark. We've covered this, this passage uh, a few times, but it looks like it's been about four years since we last covered it. So we wanted to... I'm not, I think I'm still... Am I muted anymore? I'm all right? Okay, good. I want to make sure I took myself off that. But it's been about four years, but you may remember some of the highlights on this one if you've been around here for a while. But there may be some situations in your life that you have overcome in the past. Maybe you've overcome some financial issues in the past. You've overcome some healing issues in the past. But now all of a sudden you're facing something and it seems like you're not overcoming it. It seems to be getting the better of you. How does that happen? How is it that we had success in that area before and now we're hitting that same area and something is getting the better of us? How is it that we can overcome that? Well, there's a similar situation that the disciples faced right here in this chapter. And we're going to take a look at this. And there's also something else in here. I haven't, I have never really looked at this to the degree that I did this time. But you remember when Jesus says to the, to the people when he comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration and the disciples couldn't cast the demon out? This is the story we're looking at here today. Remember that story? And he comes on down and when he hears them say, we brought him to your disciples and they could not cast it out. Remember Jesus' words? Oh, faithless, perverse generation. How long will I be with you? Bring him here to me. So I, began, I asked this question. I don't know if I ever asked, asked this question before. But we'll get to the answer of it as, as we get on through. Who was Jesus speaking to? Was he speaking to the disciples? Was he speaking to the person who asked the question? Who is Jesus speaking to? Because if I don't know who Jesus is speaking to, then I'm going to apply whatever it is I understand in the wrong way. So I asked that question. We're going to get there on this. We'll have some fun here with us this morning. Today, we're going to take a look at overcoming spiritual obstacles to your faith. If you tune in on Wednesday, since we didn't get to it this last Wednesday, this Wednesday we're going to look at natural or physical obstacles to your faith. It's kind of neat the way the two of them will, will work hand in hand here. Last week we looked at the man who was born blind and the number of the questions that came up with that, but if I spend too much time talking about that, we will not get through all that is here. So Mark chapter 9, if you missed last week, just go back up there. It's on YouTube, it's on Facebook, it's on Sermon.net, it's on our podcast. There's all kinds of places you can get it. And it won't cost you a thing. Mark chapter 9. we got to start at verse 1 because this is really where the whole thing begins. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. I'm going to stop right there for you for just a minute. I want to read this. Look at this. Jesus is saying to the disciples, Assuredly, in other words, as certain as I can tell you, there are some of you standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present and, and what? Present with power. Now let me ask you this question. Is that statement that Jesus made open to a wide variety of interpretation? <laughs> it sure is, isn't it? But I think Jesus has one meaning in mind and what caught my attention on this one was he expects the disciples to understand it. Doesn't he? 
How many of you expect the disciples to understand what he is saying at the time that Jesus said it? Probably not. But let's take a look at this as we go on. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart from themselves and he was transfigured before them. Peter, as we know, is the inspiration behind the Gospel of Mark. He tells it to Mark. We just go over that with you so you understand. This is the perspective. It's coming from Peter's perspective. So Peter is telling this story. Mark is writing it down. Peter, at the time of this writing, has associated what Jesus said with this event. But I don't know that he, when exactly he knew it. But for six days, Jesus makes the statement and if you're one of the disciples, what do you think he meant by that? Now let me let me tap into your reservoir of word that you know. You remember when Jesus was asked the question about about dying, and he pointed to John, and he said, "If I choose for him to remain, what is that to you?" And the Word of God says that the rumor started that John wouldn't die. Now, he was the last disciple to die, but the rumor started. Why do you think the rumor started? Because of something that Jesus said here, and they still do not have understanding of this. At the time that, that uh, the transfiguration happened, it was six days after Jesus said this, how many people understood what Jesus was talking about? Three. Three people saw the kingdom of God in this power at the Mount of Transfiguration. Only three. And Jesus tells them what? Take a look at what Jesus tells them. Where we leave off at? Verse 3. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. In other words, the kingdom of God had come down. And Elijah appeared with them, with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, <clears throat> right? Because I knew who Jesus was. One for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, I always like stopping here and asking you this question. How does Peter know what Moses looks like? How does Peter know what Elijah looks like? Did they have little pictures they flashed around? A website maybe they, they looked up? See, this is Elijah. How does he know? It's real simple. The kingdom of God came down on the mountain. Jesus appeared as he would be in heaven. And when you are in heaven... How many have ever forgotten somebody's name? Got somebody's name and you're so embarrassed you don't want to ask... I know I should know your name, but I don't know it. I'm not going to ask your name. I'm just going to refer to you generally. Generally. <laughs> Because we don't do that. When you get to heaven, you won't forget anybody's name because you will know the names of the people you've never even met yet. Because they never met Moses and they never met Elijah and they did not know that it was God's purpose to have them show up before he went to the cross. But they know it right now. Why? Because when you're in the kingdom of heaven, folks, you will know some stuff that you didn't know before. So they knew this. The kingdom of God came down upon this mountain. And I'll tell you what, there's three people right now that have inspiration to know what Jesus was talking about. And this is why Peter is putting this right here. He first puts the, 
the thing that Jesus said, and then six days go by. How many know that things happen between that time and this time in Jesus' ministry? Things happen. But for Peter, he goes right from this, and six days later, this happened. In other words, these are related. And he puts them right together so the people understood it. So he says this about building the tabernacles, verse 6, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Well, he didn't know what to say, so he opened up his mouth and said stuff. I'm sure you don't know people like that. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one anymore but only Jesus with them. Now you've heard me talk about this one before. I always lament the fact that Peter was talking. Because if Peter would have just shut up and listened, he could have written down what Jesus and Elijah and Moses were saying instead of us hearing what Peter said. I'm far more interested in finding out what, what uh, Moses and Elijah and Jesus said than I am about what Peter said. And apparently so was God because he basically comes down and says, shut up, <laughs> listen to my son. And then it was all over. Now, as we said, this can lead to all kinds of interpretation. The disciples all heard this Three of them went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. The other ones are left behind. Now, I have this question. I believe I left it in your outline for you. How many times in the Word does God announce what is coming before it arrives? How many times in the Word does God announce what is coming before it arrives? Because this is what Jesus is doing. He's announcing what's coming before it gets there. This is not the first time that that has been done. I wrote down just a few. You can think in your own self and come up with some more. But Abraham. Abraham was told what God was going to do before God did it. As far as his descendants, as far as the blessing, all those things, God told it to him before he did it. Take him to a new land. Joseph. God told what was going to happen before it happened and Joseph was able to get the nation of Egypt ready to be the bread for the world. How about the fall of Jerusalem? Wasn't that announced before it happened? Jerusalem's restoration. We've been looking at that in Ezra and Nehemiah. God announced it before it happened. The shepherds in the New Testament. God announced what was happening before it happened. So they go over there and see it. Mary and Joseph. Mary finds out about, you're going to be pregnant, but she's not pregnant yet. She found out about it before it happened. The second destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus warned them about it. This, this Jerusalem's going to be destroyed again. And, and Rome came in and did that. Now, out of those, how many people don't hear to understand and miss what God sent? See, if you hear the wrong thing, you're going to miss what God sent. The fall and rise of Jerusalem and Israel. How many people did not hear that and missed what God was doing on those things? Many people heard what God said about the fall of Jerusalem, didn't believe it, and started to go in a different direction. The prophets tried to tell them differently, but they wouldn't listen. How about how many things about the Messiah were prophesied, were told, but people wouldn't believe it? And so many people during Jesus' day missed that Jesus was the Messiah because they simply didn't hear the things that were said that God had announced. Pentecost. How many people hung around? Not a whole lot. What is it? 
There were some, but not a whole lot. There's a lot of people who just left. God announced it, but people left. They didn't understand. How about the outpouring on the Gentiles? There's a whole lot of people completely missed it. They didn't think this was right. Peter almost missed it. God hit him with the vision to let him know, nope, we're going to do it this way. How about those things that are still to come? Think about this for a little bit. The rapture. Hasn't God announced it? How many people don't believe it? How many people are going to miss it because they don't believe it? How about the tribulation? The two witnesses. Has not God announced that the two witnesses are coming and what they're going to do? And yet how many people in the tribulation are going to miss what God did with the two witnesses? The second advent. That's been announced. That's been talked about. How many people are going to miss the second advent? And here's a big one. Armageddon. Is that not prophesied? Did God not say, here's what to expect. Here's going to be involved. How many people are going to miss it? Simply because they didn't hear it. They didn't hear it with an ear ear to understand. That's personalized all that. Are you in a place to be hearing about the things that God is sending? God likes to announce what He's doing. Are you in a place to hear it though? If you heard it, would you hear it right? I think about this story of the transfiguration. Three people understood what Jesus was talking about. How many times do you think the twelve were together discussing some of the things that Jesus said that they didn't understand? And I'm sure they probably get back to this and they say, you remember what Jesus said about that kingdom of God coming and some of us would be here to see it? What do you think he meant? If you're Peter, James, and John, what's the command? Don't tell anybody until after my death and resurrection. They don't even understand that. But apparently they understood don't tell anybody and they didn't tell anybody. Can you imagine being in that conversation and you know something. (laughs) You know something, but you're not supposed to tell it until after he resurrects. Boy, was that ever a fun conversation. Can you picture this happening after the resurrection? You know, one of the times Jesus is away and hey, uh, hey John, we can say this now, can't we? Yeah, he's already raised. We can say this. Guys, do you remember <laughs> when Jesus said this? Oh, yeah, yeah, we never figured that out. Well, we did, but we weren't allowed to tell you. Oh, can you imagine that conversation going on? Hmm, that must have been fun. Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. He didn't say ascended, did he? He said risen from the dead. So as soon as he rose from the dead, even though he's not ascended, he could talk about it. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what they, what the raising from the dead meant. Well, they can only talk about this among themselves in relationship to this transfiguration. And they asked him, saying, Who do the scribes say that Elijah, or why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Alright, if you're Peter, James, and John, what are you thinking? We saw him. We saw him. He was here. What are you supposed to say about it? Nothing. 
Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things and how it is written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has also come. And they did to him whatever they wished as it is written of him. Now these folks know that the real Elijah did come, but Jesus is speaking about John the Baptist coming in the spirit of Elijah. All right, that's the, that's the part that comes before this story. Verse 14, And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. What in the world are you disputing about? They're trying to get a miracle and over there, here they are disputing. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Not the scribes, one of the crowd. Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that he should cast it out, but they could not. So he has a mute spirit. He can't speak. And it says whenever it seizes him, whenever it comes upon him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. How many have ever seen a demon-possessed person foam at the mouth? I figured if anybody did, you folks... Because it doesn't happen a whole lot in this country, but in other countries it happens very often. It is starting to happen a little bit more in this country because we've opened the door for some of those things to come in. But uh, uh, Brother Lester Sumrall, he would talk about stories, especially about the Philippines. And I remember him telling the story the first time he encountered this. He was a guest in a, in a church and... Uh, he was brand new to any of this. Howard Carter had not taught him anything along these lines because I guess he hadn't really engaged in that too, in too much. But here he was. He was getting ready for the, the meeting. You may have heard me tell the story before. Praise and worship starts. And he said there's this woman who was on the front pew. And when the music, when the worship started, she got down and slithered in the front of the church like a snake. And a green, frothy foam came out of her mouth. Brother Lester was kind of startled that and says, uh, oh man, I'm sure that the ushers will take care of this. Because they had ushers in the church and the ushers just stood by and watched. The usher didn't, didn't do a thing. Well, surely the worship leader is going to take care of this. Worship leader just kept on going with the songs. Did not address it at all. And so pretty soon the worship service is over. The pastor was coming up. He's going to introduce him. Well, surely the pastor is not going to put up with this. He is going to deal with this when he comes up here. And the pastor came up. It became very evident this pastor was not going to deal with this. This person just slithering. Green frothy foam coming out of the mouth. Boy, that's got to be spooky weird. I, I have not seen that. I know it's happened. Brother Naz is telling me right here that it's happened. He's seen it. And uh, Sharon too. Yep, okay. So they've, they've seen it. I, and I know other people who have said they've seen it. I have not personally seen it. That doesn't mean that I don't believe that it's happened. So Lester was telling this story. And so now he's having a conversation with God. And he says, God, you've got to deal with this. I can't preach with that kind of stuff going on. God says, I'm not dealing with it. You deal with it. Me? He doesn't know what thing what to do. He has no, never dealt with anything demonic in, in all his ministry time. Howard Carter, that wasn't the area that he went. He was the mentor. He mentored underneath him. And so it uh, came time, the introduction was finally done, and so he came to the pulpit, and he said, something came over me when I came to the pulpit, and I said, in the name of Jesus, sit up there. And be quiet. I think that's what he tacked on at the end. And so the woman stopped slithering, 
like a snake. The green frothy foam disappeared and she sat back on the pew where she was or chair, whatever they had in there and sat there like a zombie. Just stared straight ahead. And so he went on and preached his message, but he's having a conversation with God while this is all going on. He says, God, if we don't do something with this, no one's going to get saved. And he knew he had to do something about it, but he didn't know what. So after he got done preaching the message, he uh, went down and called the lady out and uh, came up on the inside and cast the demon out of her. That demon came out. She became free. You could see from her eyes that she was free. This was going on. Once the people saw that the demon was cast out of the woman, they came running to the front to get saved. That was his introduction into <laughs> something that really became a big part of, of uh, how God used him in all the places that he went. In the Philippines, boy, if you ever heard some of his stories telling about the Philippines, that was a big area that he went and they had a lot of demonic things going on and that's just, that's small potatoes compared to some of the things that he had encountered after that. But here the scribes, they're having this discussion. I imagine the discussion is something about how you get rid of a demon spirit. Because the disciples were engaged in, the, in some kind of a method, some kind of a thing that they were doing to get the demon spirit out of the boy. But the demon spirit wasn't listening. And he, the boy was not getting freed. And so the scribes were probably coming on in, I imagine anyway. Well, we understand you should do it this way. Well, we only understand what Jesus taught us to do. He didn't teach us to do that. He taught us to do it this way. So they've got this discussion going on. At least that's how I imagine the discussion went on. So Jesus calls him over. What are you discussing? So he goes over. I brought, I brought somebody here for you. And he's got a mute spirit. But look at what happened. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Now that apparently is the candy-coated version of what happened. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Now Luke chapter 9 verse 40, I'm just going to read this for you. So I implored your disciples to cast it out. We get to the word begging. Here Mark just says that they said, but here Luke is as a detail, I implored or I begged. We're back in the begging again. I beg your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. The word therefore could is the word dunamis, or comes from the dunami, dunamis. The, he says the power was not in them to get this done. So they came expecting something to change, right? They probably brought him expecting Jesus to be there, but Jesus isn't there. Jesus is up on the mount with the three disciples. And the nine are there and say, hey, we've... Uh, prayed over demon-possessed people, bring them over here. We'll pray over them. It'll be just like all the ones we've had before. And they expected it to go the way that it had gone. Jesus had just commissioned them just a few chapters before this and told them, go out there, lay hands on the sick, cast out demons in my name. And so they were out there doing it. They came back and said, even the demons are subject to us. So they fully expect the demons to be subject to them, but it's not happening here. So this is why I say this story is great for it because we are operating in an area where we have operated in before. We've had success in this area. But all of a sudden, we're not having success. What's, what's happened? What's different? We're doing the same thing we did before. We're saying the same thing that Jesus said. We're using His name. But now the demon spirit's not going. It's, it's, it's staying put. 
or something. Something is going on that is not like what it was before. And they are feeling like it is not working. The person who brought the boy feels like it's not working. Something is going on that is telling them it's not working. Now these people, well let me go back to uh, Luke 9.39. Let me go one, one verse before. He says, And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. So he's going along, things are kind of normal, and then all of a sudden this spirit seizes his body. And when he does, he cries out in a loud, shrilly type of a scream. Probably disrupts not only the household, but probably the houses next to them. Seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. That's why I say it was the candy-coated version before. So what happens is this spirit comes upon him when he when it seizes him. Now this is the perspective of the Father. This is not a spiritual perspective. This is not Jesus' perspective. This is not the Word talking in authority. This is what happens. This is a man who doesn't know a whole lot, who's just observing what happens with his boy. This is what's going on. He does not know all the ins and outs about it. He just knows what's going on. So this thing seizes him. It becomes very violent. There's the foaming at the mouth from the convulsions. And there's bruising involved because it is throwing him about. There's still more to the story. But let me take a look at this verse 39 in chapter in Luke's ninth chapter. Because I spent some time with this. I was trying to understand what this was about. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out, it convulses him, so that he foams at the mouth, and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. I'm thinking, what in the world are we talking about? It departs from him. If we were to understand this story from the perspective of the Father, it sounds like the demon spirit comes upon him, does all this stuff to him, and then leaves. Isn't that the perspective that you get? But we know from Jesus' teaching, this is spiritual teaching, what this man is saying is not spiritual. You have to understand the word, how did Brother Fred Price put it? Uh, i got to see if I can remember this. Everything in the word, help me out on this, if I'm missing this. Everything in the word is truth. Every, no, how, did he, how did he put that? What is it? Everything in the word is truth, but not, but not every not every yeah someone not everything that is stated is truth but everything that is in the word is truth something like he said it much better <laughs> i just can't remember how he said it but he said it much better but that's the that's the thing the word will a lot of times dictate for you someone's opinion of what has happened but that does not mean that's god's opinion it does not mean that's actually what's happened behind the scenes all we know is what this man is saying about it. So he views this thing as the boy is okay until this thing comes and seizes him. But Jesus taught us about demon possession that they come and they make their home because they're looking for the peace. So they want that home. So they come in to make their home, but they don't, they don't always rise up. 
They rise up at times. Even the man who had all the demons in the tomb, he had his own mind about him every once in a while. And the demons would seize him and he'd become stronger, break chains and stuff like that. It was not a constant thing. This is how this man is understanding it. It says, It departs from him with great difficulty. So, I wanted to look up this word here to understand this better. There are two ways to understand this verse. I'm going to give you a translation for each one. I'm not going to read the translation. If you care to, you can go back and look it up. But there are two ways to understand this. First off, the demon spirit does not um, does not cease his possession does not cease each convulsion until the boy is left with much I'm sorry the, the demon spirit does not cease the convulsion until the boy is left with much bruising and harm so the convulsion goes on but it doesn't stop until the boy is beat up and he's bruised and he's hurt and he's damaged this is what we, we know from that Weast translates it this way as well as the New King James they're translating it in this particular way. There is another way that you could translate or understand what this verse is saying. That is, the demon spirit scarcely leaves him alone and the attacks are frequent. You see the difference? One is the severity of the attacks. The other one is the uh, frequency of the attacks. The amplified brings out this meaning. So whichever way that you go, what this verse is not saying is that with difficulty we get the Spirit to leave. That is not what he's saying. The Spirit does not leave. This man may be under the impression that he leaves because he has stopped the convulsing. But this man is either saying the convulsions are frequent or the convulsions are extremely violent and he comes out very bruised and very hurt. Verse 19 of Mark chapter 9, And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. So who is Jesus calling faithless? Is it the disciples? Well, they're the ones who failed to cast the demon out, right? Yeah, but the man who asked. Because the word of God says here, He answered him. Who? The man who asked, who's the man who asked? The father of the boy. Here's the third option. How about the crowd at large? Alright, let's look at what he says. Oh, faithless generation. Who in this story is faithless? Are the disciples faithless? Be careful how you answer this. Are they faithless? Less. No. They engaged this son with the demon spirit the way Jesus told them to, expecting a change. And they're kind of surprised that it didn't happen. Later on in the story we find out, you know, how come we couldn't cast it out? They're surprised that they were not able to cast it out. Seemed to me they had some expectation there. I would not call that faithless. Maybe they didn't have sufficient faith Maybe something was insufficient, but I would not call them faithless. How about the man who brought the son, the man who asked the question? Is he faithless? Well, he brought the son. How many times did people bring folks and Jesus talked about their faith? So I can't say that the faithless comment is meant for the disciples. 
or that the faithless comment is meant for the man. But let's take a look at what Jesus said again. He answered and said, O faithless generation. Well, that sounds like a whole lot of people. The disciples are 12. If you want to expand that number, you might get up to 100 if you look at all the disciples that followed after him. But if you're just looking at the 12, that's not a generation. If he had maybe 100 people following him, that's not a generation. The man who asked the question, he is not a generation. So what we have to do, we have to understand this statement that Jesus makes in light of a generation. So we need a bigger crowd. So I had to go back to the story and think about this just a little bit. So I began to, uh, I tell you, my, my best tool that I, I can ever think of for, for this is you got to take yourself from where you are and put yourself into the story. you got to let the events begin to happen all around you. And you got to just live it in your mind and understand this thing. So I began to do that with this story. You remember how many times it was, it was talked about in the different places we looked at this so far? That there was a crowd gathered around where the people were. And then when Jesus came on the scene, what happened to the crowd? They came running. Later on, we're going to find out that Jesus saw a bigger crowd coming and running after him. And so he quickly gets done and casts out the spirit because apparently he doesn't want the crowd there. Who's he talking about? More people than are just here in this group. But this group is showing us something. First off, they're going, let's all get around here because I think something's going to happen. Oh, it didn't happen. Oh, there's Jesus. Oh, maybe it'll happen over there. And they all begin to run over here. What does that remind you of? Reminds me very much of what happens today. Brother Kenneth Hagin has a meeting in such and such a city. And people say, oh, Brother Kenneth Hagin's coming. Oh, he has a healing on I'm going to go and get healed. And masses of people come and they all converge on the place to get healed. And some of them don't. What do they do? Oh, well, that didn't work. Huh. Oh, Brother Fred Price is coming. I'll go to his meeting. A bunch of people go over to his meeting. They didn't get healed. Oh. It didn't happen. Wait, who else is having a meeting? Oh, they're having a meeting. Let's go over that meeting. How many has that happened to today? People, they flock over here. Oh, I thought God was doing something. I guess he's not. And they flock on over here. That's a faithless generation. You can't make a stand on anything. You're not holding still for anything. You're just flying around. Like James talks about, double-minded. Well, maybe it's over here. Nope, not over here. Maybe it's over here. Nope, not over here. Maybe it's over here with the disciples. Nope, it's not over here. Let's go over here with Jesus. To me, this is, this is what Jesus is talking about because he runs into this a lot. People are flocking because they want to see the supernatural happen. They want to see the miracles. They don't necessarily want to hear the word. How do you build faith? By seeing miracles? By hearing the word. That's how, we, that's how we do it. We hear the word. Verse 20. Now think about this. Despite all that stuff going on and Jesus talking about this faithless generation, Jesus prays for the man. 
Well, I prayed for the man, but cast out the demon out of the man, the boy. Then they brought him to him, brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. Now, when he, when the boy saw Jesus, a whole lot of hymns in there. We're not talking about singing. Got to make sure you keep the hymn straight. When he, the boy, saw him, Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Now, look at verse 21. Told you we've only had the candy-coated version so far. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? Many people will read this or understand this verse of Scripture. How long has he been possessed? And that is not what Jesus asked, nor is it what the man answered. Jesus already knew he was possessed. But on his way there, the convulsion hit. The violence came. So Jesus said, How long has this been happening to him? Can you see that? We're not talking about how long he's been demon-possessed. How long has this been happening to him? So, verse 22, verse 21, And he said, from childhood. Now look at the rest of the description here. And often... I mean, you know, often is not once or twice. Often, it's pretty pretty common occurrence, right? How many of you folks eat often? You would describe your eating as eating often. Yeah, what's that? Three times a day? Maybe more? Twice? No snacks? <laughs> often is not something that happens once a week or once a month. This is something that goes on pretty regular. Right? If you have somebody in your household or, uh, and they are falling often, does it change how you live in that household? You now have to adjust to make sure that someone is around in case they fall. Because it happens often. And he has thrown him, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Now, please understand what I told you before. This is the man's perspective, the father's perspective. This is not God's perspective. This is the man's perspective. This is not any even authoritative. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water. Now the assumption here is fire one time, water another time, not both at the same time. To destroy him. How does the man know that the demon spirit wants to destroy him? Let me clue you in. He doesn't. He's assumed. If you are come to the point where you know that a demon spirit is behind these convulsions, and because of it he goes into the fire and he, he goes into the water, and he would have died had it not been for someone being there, what would you think? 
Can you see how you could come to the conclusion that the spirit wants this boy dead? Does a demon spirit want the body it's in dead? No. Because then it has no place to go. Remember Jesus casting them out? This is, this is a spiritual perspective. Jesus is talking to the, the demoniac and he said, don't cast us out into the abyss. We don't want to go. We have to leave and let us go into the bodies over, the pigs over here. They wanted to go somewhere. So it would not make sense that if a demon spirit had a home that he would want to destroy that home, would it? That's not what we know about demons. That's not what Jesus taught us about demons. The demons like the home messy, but they want the home there. Right? They don't want to get rid of the home. He says here this, but if you can, that word comes from the, the Greek word dunamai. If you can, if you have the ability, your disciples did not have the dunamai, that power. If you have the power to do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Well, I'm going to pre- present this to you. Because if we can understand his words, and I can give you a little different word on this. What if... Going into the fire is not from the demon spirit. What if going into the water is not from the demon spirit? What's the, what's the uh, problem the boy has because of the demon spirit? Can't speak. So he can't tell you what's going on. So you're left to figure out a lot of things on your own. What if the boy is tired of this torment and the boy says, I'm going to throw myself in the fire and be done with this. I'm going to throw myself in the water and be done with this. Do you remember the demoniac would be in the place cutting himself? Why did he cut himself? Because the demons wanted to not inhabit him anymore? If he kills himself, the demons have no place to be. They don't inspire the cutting. He inspired it because I need to get out of this I can't take this torment. What if the boy wants to be free of the torment and throws himself into the fire or throws himself into the water? If the demon spirits really wanted to destroy him, maybe they maybe they could, maybe, I don't know. We don't really get into a whole lot in the Word of God on that. But they're trying to interpret this. Since it happens often... If you had someone who was very often being thrown, as you looked at it, thrown into the fire or thrown into the water and almost drowned, almost burned, what would you be doing? Someone's got to be around him all the time. We've got to be watching him all the time. This is tough. Well, what a, what a tense environment that must be. Anytime this could be going on. Somebody jumped into the water, pulled him out of the water. Somebody jumped into the fire and pulled him out of the fire. If he's under the impression that the demon spirit wants to kill him, then there is nothing from the boy that pulled him out of the fire. Someone else had to come along and do it. Otherwise, you wouldn't think the demon spirit wants to destroy him. But that's the impression he has. The demon spirit wants to destroy him. So someone else had to go in and get him. Which means someone else has to always be watching him because this is going on often. He says, have compassion on us. Do you see the state that we're in? We live around this. 
This is going on all the time. It happens often. And sometimes it gets so bad, he goes into the fire. Sometimes he goes into the water. He's almost drowned. He's almost burned to death. Look at his body. Look at the burns on his body from the times we had to pull him out of the fire. Please, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. See, it's us. It's not just him. There's other people out there as well. Jesus is not looking at the length of time that this demon has been on this boy. He is just looking at the violence that is there. And he's asking about the violence. What is going on with all this violence? How long has this been happening? Can you imagine Jesus looking at these people? You guys have lived with this. Oh, wow, this is, this is tough. We've got to get it moving. Verse 23, Jesus said to him, If you can believe... Now he throws this word right back at him. If you can, from the word dunamai. If you can believe. It's not a matter of me being able to do things. not a matter of my ability. Do you have the ability to believe all things are possible to him who believes? Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears. Immediately, he didn't think about this. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I got to get out of this. I've got someone's attention. I've heard about you. If you can do anything. And he says, hey, if you can believe, all things are possible. I can believe it. But there's, there might be some unbelief there. Help me with that. But I know I can believe. Sometimes our desperation masks itself as faith. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he didn't want all this attention. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. So this spirit not only had his tongue, it had he was deaf. How do you communicate with someone who is both deaf and dumb? I mean, you can write some things down on a board, but you've got to be able to educate the person so that they know what all those things mean. He's deaf and dumb. He can't hear the word. He can't hear the word to increase faith. He can't speak things about faith. He's, he's helpless in this matter. It's the Father that's, that's there helping out. Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you. He's not calling the spirit by a name. He's calling the spirit by the function that it is doing in his body. I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Now look at this verse. Watch this verse very carefully. I want you to see what happens in this verse. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly. Understand this word here. This man has already had strong and great convulsions. Jesus took note of it. Wow, how long has this been going on with him? And when then Jesus spoke to him and cast it out, this thing went into a convulsion that is described in this setting as great. That means it is more intense than what they had already seen. How do you get more intense than that? I don't know. Apparently the details on it aren't that important. We just have to know that whatever was going on is now greater than it was. And the Spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him and became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. He gave the impression that he is, he is dead. I mean, it looked like a lifeless body to them. 
Huh. I wrote in your outline, I believe I did anyway, just because something seems to get worse doesn't mean faith is not working. Remember that we saw that with Jerry, Jairus? Just because your situation got worse doesn't mean your faith isn't working. That's something that we have to get down. Because a lot of times we've been making a stand and we're doing fine, but the situation got worse and we bailed out. We gave up. Well, I guess that's not working. Because i got to go find something else. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And if you're disciples, you got to be thinking, all right, now wait a minute. We did the same thing Jesus did. We did the same thing we did before. And it didn't work for us. And Jesus did the same thing and it worked for him. Ever get frustrated because some other Christian seems to be having success? And listen to the six-part series from Brother Fred Price. They wrote down all the notes. And they came out and says, I did what he said and it worked. Glory to God. And you're thinking, I listened to that series too. I wrote down notes. I put things that worked, didn't work for me. That's what's going on here. They got to be thinking in themselves, why didn't it work for us? I think this is why. Because when they had done this before, they never saw what they saw this time. And it threw them. Because this man has, had, has got great convulsions. He has something going on that is so strong and so unusual that when Jesus saw it, he goes, how long has this been going on? I don't remember Jesus ever saying that. Whatever it was, it was pretty strong. And Jesus, he didn't get scared of it. He said, how long has this been going on? Well, ever since he was a child. Huh. That's well, not going on anymore. <laughs> he went, went in there and took care of it. But if you're one of the disciples, and you're, they are new at this, they have not been at this for too long, they were amazed when they went out and they cast out demon spirits, and they listened. And they went. And then they came up to this one. And if it put the same show on for them that it put on for Jesus, which I am sure that it did, they were probably taken back. What in the world is this? This has not happened before. I have never seen this in any demon possessed Wow. And we just used the name of Jesus. We just cast that thing out. And... Matthew, have you ever seen this before? Look at this. I've never seen anybody. This is scary. Maybe once they picked up on the fear, the demon spirit, maybe it started making moves towards them. I don't know what happened, but they saw something that was different and they backed off. Jesus didn't. He saw it was different, but he didn't back off. Verse 28, and when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately. <laughs> we, we don't want to get this out there, uh, but we want to find out, why could we not cast it out? Wouldn't you like to ask Jesus a question about this? How many have ever had a financial thing, you were working, it was doing good for you, and all of a sudden you had a financial flop? 
You had a healing thing. It was working for you. All of a sudden, you had a healing flow. How many would like to be able to sit down with Jesus after that and say, how come it didn't work? How many would like to do that? Anybody have a, something like that in your history? You'd like to sit on down with Jesus and say, how come it didn't work? This story is in the Bible to help us answer that question for ourselves. Verse 29. All right. Why could we not cast... I love the way they phrased this question, too. They didn't phrase this question, how come we didn't pick up there was a demon spirit? They didn't say that. They knew it was a demon spirit. They came after the demon spirit. Why could we not cast it out? We were casting it out. We were engaged in casting that thing out, and it didn't Go. So he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And so people have come out with the idea that there are prayer and fasting demons. That you must engage yourself in prayer and fasting if you're going to cast out some type of demons. We've got to be careful about these kind of things. But that is not what he is, he is teaching here. Do you remember some time ago, back in August last year, I gave you this list. I keep wanting to, I keep kicking myself because I gotta, gotta review this list a few times. I should review this list with you every month. I loved it when I got this list. And it was back in our Wednesday night crowd in the Zachariah series. If you're interested, missed it, I'll give you the, the, uh, the link to it and you can go listen to it yourself. But there were four things that helped, and if you if you listen to the whole thing, you'll find out the context. The context is phenomenal of what Israel was was uh, going through then. But the question was, how can we know if a word is false, misinterpreted, or if it is a true word from God? Do you remember that? There were four things, four parts to this. First off, revelation. You don't have any room in your outline at all to write all this stuff down. If you are interested in it, don't have it. I've given it, I've given it to you on a Wednesday. I've given it to you on a Sunday. I reviewed it at least once or twice, and I have no problem. We're doing it over and over again. If you say, would you text me that? Just send me a text. Say, please text me the list. You don't have to write down a thing. I will text you exactly as I have it here and you won't miss a thing, okay? So just know that. You all can do that with me. Uh, first off was revelation. First thing that will tell you whether it is true or false is revelation. Is the word a revelation, a realization, or a reasoning from things known or desired? Because things from God are Revelation. God reveals truth to us. We don't reason it out. We don't figure it out. We don't just, well, I was just realizing that, you know, if that and that was true, this is probably true over here. No. Revelation. Revelation. That's what it is. I told you, when we're looking for the Monday teaching videos, you know, I used to pull a lot from Creflo Dollar and I told you why I don't anymore. I don't even listen to him anymore. The truth he had, I love some of his old truth. I may still go back in some of his old stuff and, and do it, but what threw me for him is that not the thing that he was teaching on the tithing. I didn't, you want to teach that, that's, that's up to you to do it. What threw me for him was he said that he received a revelation. I listened to the whole thing. I listened to it. It was like three parts to the, to the thing. I listened to it. He received revelation in the middle of the night that told him that everything he ever taught on tithing was false and now he had the truth. And see, I know that's wrong. What that tells me, and I already confirmed my suspicion because I was really careful. 
about Brother Creflo. I would listen to his stuff two, three, four times before I would put it out there for you. Because there was some stuff I heard that's questionable. You, I don't know about that. There was just some stuff that caused me to be suspicious on it. But when I heard that, I understood. No, you no longer understand where revelation comes from. And you have received a false revelation. That's why I've emphasized with you this. God's revelation is progressive. When He gives you truth today, even though you are young, the truth He gives you tomorrow will agree with it. He builds on truth. He will never tell you everything I ever taught you is false. When He told me that, I said, all right, we're done. I don't want to hear anything more new that you have to say because it is going to be, I can't tell whether you got that from a false source or a true source and so I cut it off. Bothers me because that was a great source for Monday teaching. But I don't pull from that anymore. I have no problem with how he spends his money, where he's raising his money, how many planes. I don't care about any of that. I don't care how big his building is, what kind of car he drives. None of that bothers me. What bothers me is you're going to tell me in the middle of the night you suddenly got a revelation that tells you that everything that you ever learned in the past was wrong. That's what went through it for me. That's why we don't uh, go out there and I don't refer you to anything. If you want to listen to them, you all go ahead. Just be careful. But that's one of the things. Revelation. If it's from God, it will come as revelation and it will agree with truth that He's already revealed. Second was isolation. Is the prophecy isolated from other words spoken or words written? If the... Well, don't... Just ignore that part of the word. you got to just put that part aside because this is the new thing that God has revealed. False false or we're just taking one part of scripture we're isolating no 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 we don't have to do that the word will agree persuasion does the word encourage or enlighten our way toward obedience correction or his promises or embolden us to disobey or self-righteousness by appeasing our flesh persuasion what does the word persuade you to do and we gave you examples when we went through this whole thing on the wednesday night gave you a lot of examples on it the fourth was separation. Is the prophecy separated from what the world thinks or is in agreement with it? Because the words that come from God will disagree with the world. They will disagree with the world. How many of you know the world can embrace the idea of prayer and fasting demons? That you need to work really hard and get yourself really spiritual in order to go out there and take that spirit thing on. The world will agree with that. Taking it on in the name of Jesus, just commanded it to go? No, that's not right. That's not a separated understanding of things. Anyway, I just wanted to review that there with you. Go over that again. The Word of God used to talk about uh, being skilled with the Word. You remember that word talking about that? A wise person is skilled in what they do. A foolish person is unskilled. Now, I wrote this down. It's not in your, your outline there. But the difference in the presence of understanding and discernment along with becoming proficient. The difference is the presence of understanding and discernment along with becoming proficient. The disciples were not proficient. They were not skilled like Jesus was. They could not engage in all kinds of responses and still hold true to what they were supposed to do. But Jesus was very skilled in this. Because he had the wisdom, he had the understanding, he was able to put it into practice. Disciples were new at this. So they come to Jesus. How come we couldn't cast it out? Now, Mark does not do us justice on the answer. So we have to go over to Matthew's copy of this and go over to verse 19. Matthew 17 and verse 19. Got to hurry up on this. We're running out of time. 
I knew we would. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? Have it up and pull with Marty. Remember Marty? How many will give me five more minutes? Anybody? One, two, three, four. That's 20 more minutes right there. That's good. <laughs> that was fun when he, when he did that. Uh, Brother Keith liked it too when um, uh, he was over at his church and he did that. Brother Keith Moore. Why could we not cast it out? Here's the same question. Here's the answer. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. What's the answer to the question? Because of your unbelief. Why could we not cast it out? Because of your unbelief. I say, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Well, here's that prayer and fasting thing again. So what's he talking about? I did the, last time we went over this, I did show you these words, but I'm going to go over to you again because I'll bet you forgot about it. Now, I'm going to break this down to you in the Greek. You don't need the Greek to see this. It's there in your, in your English, as long as you have something like the New King James. If you have one of those funny translations like the NIV, I don't know what they say, because I don't look at them. The only time I ever look up the NIV is when I'm looking for something for the bulletin cover, and I don't know what translation it is. I look up the NIV on it and make sure that it's not the NIV, and then I'll put it on the bulletin. That's how opposed I am to the NIV. <laughs> I go through all that extra stuff just to make sure. I'm not putting no NIV on the front of our bulletin. All right. Because of your unbelief, there's the answer. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say that this mountain move from here to there. You can say to a mountain move, surely the demon spirit is going to go, right? And nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, this won't jump out, to you, out at you in the English, but you're going to see it in the English. Look at the question. Why could we not cast it out. That's what they want to get to, right? We want to know what the answer is. How many looked at your bulletin cartoon this week? Yeah, what what was that in there for? Simple. There's a lot of times that there's something going on inside of us, we don't even know what the what the source of it is anymore. I don't know what caused it. Little boy's mad at his brother, but I don't know why, but I know I'm mad. I can still feel all that, but I don't know what the reason is. If you don't know what the reason is, you can't cure it can't fix it. Jesus is going to tell them this is the reason. So you can fix it. Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus' answer is pointing to this. First off, there's unbelief. He says there's different kinds of something. And there's prayer and fasting. That's what we have. Now as we said, there are no prayer and fasting demons. That's not there. The word for cast out in the Greek is the word ekbalo. How many remember that word? Balo. Remember I told you the shortcut for that one? Ball. What do you do with a ball? You throw it. That's how we remembered this when we were learning Greek. Ek is out. Throw out or cast out, which is exactly how it's translated in your Bible. How come we could not cast it out? The thing about ekbalo is is that you are taking something and casting it out. That is how that word is used. Now look at Jesus' answer here. 
if Jesus' answer is in regard to the casting out of the demons, wouldn't you say the same word should be used? But it is not. He goes on here. However, this kind does not go out. Doesn't say cast out, does it? It says go out. Your new King James did a phenomenal job on that. There is nothing wrong with that translation. That is a great translation. They handled this, these verses beautifully because they showed you the difference. Cast out and go out. They're beautiful translations. You really don't have to add a whole lot to it, but I'm going to, I'm going to anyway. Go out comes from the Greek word ek poreomai. Don't bother writing that down. If you want it, I'll send it to you. Ek poreoma. Everybody remember ek? Out. To, this word when it is used means to go forth, to go one's way, to remove oneself or depart. This word is used 35 times in the New Testament. Poreomai is used even more. But this is the word ek poreoma. Now the first one, ekbalo, involves someone casting. The second is an action I do myself. You see the difference? Ekbalo, someone comes in and casts it out. Ek poreomai, it's something I do it's, it's itself. Some of the places that you'll, you'll see this used, uh, they went out to Jesus. Well, no one cast them out. No one threw them. No one made them go. They took themselves out to Jesus. The Word of God very often will use this word, what comes out of your mouth. Ek poreomai. These are the things that come out of your mouth. Well, you're behind that, aren't you? They don't just come out. You speak them. That which comes out of a man. I'm going to give you, I'll read up these five verses. I just want you to see this. Uh, it's used a lot, as we said. Matthew, five, Matthew 3, 5. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. Went out to him. Matthew 4, 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds, that goes out from the mouth of God. How do those words come out of the mouth of God? God speaks them. No one casts them out. Jesus does not cast out words out of God's mouth. God speaks them. Mark 7.15 There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, the things that come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Revelations 1.16 he had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth on a sharp two-edged sword. And that is used a lot in the book of Revelation. When you see that sword coming out, it is the word ek poreomai. This is the word that is there. So, if Jesus is answering the question and they say, how come we could not ek balo the demon spirit? Why does Jesus answer them and say, this kind does not Ek poreomai, except through prayer and fasting. Can you see he's changed it? We're not talking about the demon spirit, because what is the problem? 
doubt and unbelief. Brother Hagin used to teach us, there is a doubt and unbelief that resides inside your flesh that you can be completely unaware of. And Jesus is basically saying here, it is through prayer and fasting that that will first off be exposed and revealed and dealt with. That's what he's saying. If you want to cast this thing out, that's what you need to do. Now, let me ask you this question for all the prayer and fasting crowd. None of them are here, I know, but if you talk to any of them. When did Jesus pray and fast? He did during the 40 days before he started his ministry, but now he's doing his ministry. When did he pray and fast? In fact, you will remember that he told the Pharisees, hey, John came fasting. You called him a glutton. I came eating and drinking. How come you don't fast? They asked him. How come you don't fast? And Jesus said, when the bridegroom is here, there's no fasting. But the time will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast. That tells me, Jesus is saying, I'm not fasting. He's praying, but he's not fasting. So how did he get that demon out if it's a prayer and fasting demon? Simple. He got the doubt and unbelief out when he was praying and fasting in the wilderness. Not that he had any in there, but if there was anything in there, that's what it would expose it. Once you expose it, then you can deal with it. That's what he's teaching you. Get into the prayer and fasting and expose it. Now, how, do you, how does prayer and fasting expose it? We spent much more time on this. I'm just going to give you the short part of it here. If you're interested, I'll find it. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. I can, I can find it. Prayer and fasting wakes up your flesh. The doubt that is in your body, it's in your flesh. And fasting and praying will wake up your flesh. How many of y'all know that? I may have ever decided, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to fast. What happens when you wake up in the morning? Come on, everybody, you all did the same thing. You are hungry. You may even skip breakfast most mornings, but if you decide today is a fast day, what happens when you wake up? Your flesh rises up and says, Hello, I am here, and I will be dealt with. Feed me. None of this fasting stuff. No, you will feed me now. And it rises up because it's realizing we've got a battle going on here, and I am not losing. Not today, not ever. <laughs> and you have to rise up and you say, Oh, yes, you are. And you have this battle that goes on between your spirit man and your flesh man. But what happens with most times the Christians engage this is their flesh man wins. And that doubt and unbelief resides and remains undealt with. But when your spirit man rises up and says, You will not, you will not. I rule. I rule this body. I will tell you what to do. And you will not do it. And it's not just fasting food that will do it. You can fast TV. You can fast anything that you enjoy doing. Just do something that makes your flesh rise up and say, No, we are not going to do that. Now, if you've been around for the fasting series when you did it, I told you that's part of the inspiration I have for running in bad weather. Because when I first started running in bad weather, I didn't like it. But then I found out, you know what? That wakes up my flesh. Huh. And so I developed a mentality that said, just, just, just tell me that you don't want to go out. Just tell me you don't want to go out. I'll make you run double. And it stopped doing it. It won't, it won't rise up. And so anymore, I count it all joy 
when we have a blizzard, when we have extreme cold. I count it all joy. Oh, yes. I was over at a doctor appointment on Friday and I had, I had to get to the doctor. I mean, they, they made it short notice. I had to suddenly be in there at 8.30 in the morning. Well, my run time is at 7. I'm meeting John. We're running. I said, so I'll just, I'll run and then I'll just, I'll just, just get in the truck and go. So I did that. I got in the truck and I went on over. I made it by 8.30. I was right, 8.30. It was right there because the snow was on the road. You know, it was a mess. So I get on in there and I am not looking like the other people. Because I stole my shorts on, I stole my running top on, and uh, and they're saying, "Why are you dressed like that?" Well, I was running this morning, but I knew in order for me to get here, I just had to get in the truck and come over. Well, that started all kinds of conversation and, and stuff like that. But see, to me, it's normal. It's not unusual. This is a normal thing to do. But I've I've learned this will wake up my flesh, and my flesh does not complain anymore. It doesn't. If it's ten degrees outside, and I say we're going running, how far you want to go? That's all it does. You have to stay with it. That's why Brother Hagel, when he taught us about the fasted life, there's something to be gained from a couple of days of fasting. But once you gain that, there's something more to be gained from the fasted life, and we can do not have time for that. So, we're going to move on. This word is used, ek poreomai, for this very reason. You can cast out the demon out of someone else, but no one can deal with the doubt that's on the inside of you. You have to do it. You got to send that doubt packing. You got to tell that doubt to go. No one else can do it. God can't do it. You have to do it. You got to rise up. Boy, I got a whole lot more in here. We're not going not, not to be able to get into all this other stuff here. That's all right. We can, we can skip past all that. Let me get here to the end. If something unwanted is continuing its presence does not prove its purpose. If something unwanted is continuing, you have something in your life that is continuing on and you do not want it. Its presence does not prove its purpose. Some people want to say, well, the reason that you're still sick is because God has a purpose for it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have it. Its presence does not prove its purpose. The presence of this demon spirit did not prove its purpose. The fact that the disciples couldn't cast it out did not prove its purpose. That it had a purpose for being there. No. Jesus cast it out. It throwing a fit did not prove its purpose. God's purpose is always proved by what is revealed in his word not what we see in this world you got to get that down your flesh wants to switch it your flesh wants to change it over but God's purpose is always proved in his word what he reveals in his word it is not proved by what we see in this world and until you can get your faith to the point where it is proved by what was revealed in his word not by what you see you won't get past this you see, the disciples had what was revealed, but they saw something in that demon-possessed boy they had not seen before. And what they saw caused the problem. This would be a great place to go over Brother Hagin's story of when uh, he cast out a demon spirit and it didn't go. How many remember that story? How many don't remember that story? 
Oh, man, that's a good story. Who will give me five more minutes? <laughs> oh, boy, that was something else. I still remember Brother Hagin telling this story to us when we were in school, and he was, he was going over. This was just an, one of those amazing stories because the Lord had told him that when you lay hands on people, and he, would, he described to him what would happen if there's a demon spirit involved. And I, if I remember correctly, it was something like the, the, the uh, power would come back on you. It was something along those lines. And so he, there was this man, and he was praying for him. He had a problem bending over. And as he was uh, praying over him, he felt that. Oh, there's a demon spirit behind this. So he cast out the demon spirit. And he said to the man, see if you can touch your toes now. See if you can bend down now. And the man couldn't. And Brother Hagin was flabbergasted. He'd never seen this happen before. The demon spirit's always left. And so uh, uh, I've, I've shortened the story here a little bit. He was confronted with, with Jesus on it. And he, uh, during the meeting, and he was on the stage, and he told Brother Hagin, I told you that if that happened, the demon spirit's involved, and to cast it out. I did, but it didn't go. And the Lord got mad at him. And said, I told you that when you cast it out in my name, it has to go. And then he was gone. He got rebuked on it. He did not realize, wow, I asked him to see if he could touch his toes. Or if I could bend down. And so then it changed it. He went after it. In the name of Jesus, he cast that thing out and that man was set free. (laughs) You see how that doubt can just kind of... You're not even aware of it. If you'll get into prayer and fasting, you will find that doubt. You will find that flesh. And when you see that flesh, and that flesh rises up, you're going you're gonna to take it on. When you see that flesh rise up and give you an emotion that you know is not right, you're going to rise up against it. I will not take on that emotion. When you see the flesh rise up and it begins to make you think something fishy about somebody, something in question, not think the best of somebody that you're seeing over there. You will rise up and say, the Word of God tells me to operate this way, not that way. I will not accept that. And you'll begin to see flesh all over and you will suddenly rise up and you'll find out it is not just in prayer and fasting. There is all kinds of stuff I go through the day. My flesh tries to rise up and I will keep it under. That's what you need to do. You've got to rise up. Because that flesh, folks, is your enemy. That flesh is rising. But you see, we don't know that it's there. The disciples didn't know it was there. If they knew that they were in doubt, don't you think they would have said, Jesus, how come we were in doubt? Why were we in doubt? We've done this before. Why were we in doubt? They did not ask that question, did they? What question did they ask? Why could we cast it out? Because they didn't realize that that was with them. So Jesus says to them, this kind does not go out except through prayer and fasting. Can you see the difference in what Jesus is teaching? People come up with prayer and fasting demons, but you've got to isolate this from all the other places in the Scripture. And that is wrong. That is how you follow after a wrong path. Don't ever do that. Don't isolate. There's no reason to isolate. I wrote this down. It's not in yours. Don't. I don't think it's in yours. Maybe it is. Don't be moved by the bad and sad you have in your present. Stay moved by the hope and joy you see with your face. Your faith. Be moved by the hope and joy you see with your faith. You're, you're bad and sad that you've got around you. That's going to try and get you to embrace it. You see, this is in your present. This is what I am around. But your hope and your joy are looking at something different. 
you got to keep your focus on the hope and joy. Don't let the bad and sad that's going on around you steer you off, move you into a different direction. You don't need to have that going on. Would you all stand up with me? Thank you for that extra five minutes, ten minutes. We've all been in places where something we have done worked, but now suddenly isn't. You have just hit the threshold of where you are in faith or in doubt. Don't get discouraged. Get excited. I am at a spot where I can see myself overcoming this. This is all right. Oh, we're going to expose that flesh. I'm going to do some things, bring that flesh out. Flesh, I want you screaming. I want you screaming. I want to hear you. And you go after that flesh. Because when you identify the flesh and you get that thing out, you get that thing under. Oh, it'll change. Change how you believe. Change how you do things. Glory to God. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that all we need is what you have revealed to us in your word. We may hit a situation and the devil may try and tell us, no, it's not going to work here. It's not happening here. Hit the end. No, we have not, devil. We have not hit the end because we have a God who says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. So if there is some residual doubt in my flesh that is hindering me, I am going to uncover it and it will remove itself from my life. Glory be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you for it. The devil may try and tell us the victory is not ours, but we know better the victory is ours. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. What was that? Oh, Thank you, Brother Lamar. He's out there listening. He got the quote. May as well get it the way it was stated here, right? Uh, Brother Price said, Remember, we are talking about the fact that everything in the Bible is truly stated, but everything in the Bible is not a statement of truth. That's exactly how it is. <laughs> That's it. Everything in the Bible is truly stated, but everything in the Bible is not a statement of truth. Thank you, Brother Price. I love that when I heard that from him before. That was, that was great. I knew no one put it better than he did. That was uh, absolutely wonderful. Uh, we have a video teaching coming out. Some of you have already already uh, watched it. Uh, Les and Marguerite, they emailed me or texted me uh, yesterday. said, hey, we're already watching it. Because I had posted up there yesterday. Uh, but Brother Ivy Hilliard, you have another one from him. I enjoy his, his messages. Uh, a lot of times I'm listening to him and it's, it's some of the things we've already posted for you. So I'm trying to find some new things. This is a new one. This is a, not new in that uh, it's new for him. I think it was a couple of years ago. But some great things on perseverance. I did give you a warning uh, on this. It comes out in the announcement. Be careful listening to this and doing something else. Be very careful with that. Because you are going to want to write some things down. He makes some fantastic statements like he usually does. But he gives you two lists of four things in each one of those lists. And you are going to want to write those four things, eight things down. Because they are good. They are, they are absolutely wonderful. I love the uh, I love his approach with the word, and and some of the things that he does. Now understand when I when I go through this, this is an older one because I haven't found anything that's up that's uh, new that I've really enjoyed to to um, put out there for you. When I go out and I look for these things, I am not looking. I do not look for someone to preach because of the color of their skin. I don't look for someone to preach because of the denomination they come from. 
I am giving some people that are from denominations that we are not associated with at all. But they had the Word. All I care about is, are they teaching me the Word? Am I learning something about the Word? Am I learning something about how to live? And I don't care anything else about them. I will put up with a whole lot of things they do wrong from a speaking point of view. Not that I'm perfect. I'm nowhere near perfect. But I can hear something. Well, I wish they wouldn't do that. But if they have the Word, then I'll tolerate it. I'll get past it. That's what I'm looking for. So that's what the, some of the things we do. Now, I know we doubled up uh, last week. The week before that, we tripled up. So this one, we just gave you one. <laughs> just one. And uh, Brother Hilliard, he gets through pretty quick. He's a lot faster at it than me. He gets done in like 40, 50 minutes. Sometimes it's an hour. But uh, uh, you will enjoy the whole thing. I, I think. always love hearing from you as you're listening to it. But just be careful. Uh, you can just listen to it if you want to, and then go back and take the notes afterwards. But there's some phenomenal notes that you can take out on this thing, and you will, you will enjoy those things. Uh, Wednesday night, we didn't get to it on this past Wednesday, but we're going to look at the physical obstacles to faith. We looked at the spiritual obstacles now, which was doubt and unbelief, but there are some physical obstacles to your faith, and we're going to de- delve into them from what the Israelites face in Nehemiah chapter 10. We're going to be doing that on Wednesday night. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks for hanging out with